mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Let us come and worship our Heavenly Father, our Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit this day. Let us pray. Eternal Almighty God, who is beyond our grasp or conceiving, when we try to conceive you on our own or somehow figure out who you are on our own, we end up with, with what is not true about who you are. Before the brightness of your presence, the angels veil their faces. They don't try to plumb the depths of your being. With lowly reverence and adoring love, we acclaim your glory today and we sing your praise. For you have shown us your salvation in Jesus Christ our Savior. So we ask that you would come among us now by your Holy Spirit, that our worship would not be in vain. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Our first hymn is number 12, Exalt the Lord as Praise Proclaim.
The sacrifice that is pleasing to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart God will not despise. Let us come to the Lord who is full of compassion and acknowledge our transgressions in repentance and faith. Let us pray together the prayer printed in the bulletin. Almighty God, you created us to be your holy servants made in your image. We confess before you that we have been unholy servants loving ourselves most of all, ungratefully using your gifts, proudly confident in our own knowledge, giving adoration to ourselves. We have not loved you with our whole heart or our neighbors as ourselves. Have mercy upon us who repent of our ways, pardon us of all our sin, and make us to be the new servants of Christ who obediently journeyed to Jerusalem to die on the cross for us, and who calls us to take up our cross and follow him. Grant, O Father, by your Spirit, that we may live according to your kingdom, to the glory of Christ's name. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. Once we were far off, but now through Jesus Christ we have been brought near to God, by the shedding of Christ's blood, for he is our peace. He is the one who reconciles us with God, who is our creator and our redeemer. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, I declare to you in the name of Jesus Christ and as a minister of his gospel that all those who have faith in Jesus Christ are truly forgiven of all their sin. This is the good news of the gospel, and we say together, praise be to God. Brothers and sisters, In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to to promise. These distinctions that Paul mentions, this is from Galatians chapter 3, these distinctions that he mentions were common, well-known distinctions in the Roman and Greek empire, uh, Roman and Greco culture. The Jew and the Greek, um, the, the uh, slave or the free, the male and the female, were all distinctions, social classifications and distinctions that uh, one was considered better than the other. Of course, it depended on which side you were on. But um, they were very common social uh, classifications. And Paul is making a very radical statement here to the church, to us, that we don't define ourselves by the social status and classifications that our society puts upon us. Um, today, they would be different. They, most of the, these would be put differently. But there's still those distinctions and classifications, and we don't carry that into the church um, it doesn't mean that God's order has been undone so that now men and women you know, can be whoever they want to be and all those differences between men and women don't matter anymore. Yes, they do, but not in a way that one is more privileged over the other. One is, one is more important than another. So Paul is basically explaining the gospel breaks down all those classifications and divisions that our society creates, and that's good news. So in the church, what we are are the adopted children of God's household. We are all part of his family, and we need to understand um, that and, and, and relate to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. So do not set yourselves above one another. Instead, relate to each other according to your new identity in Jesus Christ. You are brothers, brothers and sisters united in Christ. For this is God's will for us in Christ, and let us say, Amen.
Our hymn is number 670, If Thou But Suffer God to Guide Thee. Let us bring our prayers together to our Heavenly Father. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy to us. How you saw us lost in sin. You saw us small and powerless. You saw what had happened to us because of our sin. But you did not turn your head away in disgust. Instead, you gave yourself to us as the servant of our salvation. 
with Jesus Christ. Like the Israelites of old, you have rescued us and led us and cared for us and saved us. And we thank you that Jesus Christ is the Savior who comes for the least and the lost in this world, who forgives our sin, who teaches us the word of your kingdom and feeds us the bread of life. And we thank you, O Lord, for all the gifts you give to us as your blessed children. You give us health and healing, and so we are allowed to be witnesses to the new life of Christ. We are allowed to suffer and so become witnesses to you that you are our crucified Lord. We are needy so that we might receive from your hand and show that you are the one who provides for our wants. We are rich so that we might testify to your bountiful generosity. To you we give thanks and praise Jesus Christ with all your people, saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Give to us, we pray, the grace to follow him in costly discipleship. Enable us truly to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility to regard others as better than ourselves, looking not to our own interests, but to the interests of others. Give us compassion for those in need. We especially remember those who are homeless or in danger where they live. Hear our prayers for those. We pray for the church. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, fellow members of his one body, many of whom face persecution and death for confessing Christ in Ukraine, in Iraq, Egypt, Iran, North Korea, China, Syria, and Nigeria. Give them grace and strength to stand for peace, but most of all to point to that peace that you give through Christ and keep us mindful of their situation. Continue to strengthen all of us, we pray, and enable us to shine like lights in your world. Hear our prayers now for the church around this world. We lift up prayers for those who govern us, for Joe Biden, our president, for Gary Peters and Debbie Stabenow, our senators, Gretchen Whitmer, our governor, our city councils. Guide them as they make decisions for us. Give us just laws and wise policies. Give the church grace to defend women and children who so often seem to be attacked or exploited in our culture. Give the government, we pray you'd keep the government in its place and bless us with good leaders elected. Hear our prayers for those who rule over us. We pray you would bring us a quick end, an end soon to the aggression of Russia against Ukraine and that you would protect Hiro Hakobor and his family there in the church in Ukraine. We also pray for peace to return and, uh, and it be a safe peace in Palestine with Israel. And now for our own, we pray, those in our membership and among our friends, we pray you would comfort and relieve your weak, sick, or distressed servants. You would give the power of your healing to them through those who minister to their needs. We pray this so that Jeff and Fawn and Eduardo and our friends Becky and Angie, Karen, Tammy's family and friend Kara, for Kay, for Tom and Phil and Bob, Barbara, Jane, and others we name to you in silence. 
that they would be healed and strengthened in their weakness and have confidence in your loving care. Father, hold on to our young ones in Christ. Bless them to grow in knowledge and understanding, but most of all, to worship and serve you in the name of Jesus Christ. Almighty God, you are the fountain of all wisdom. You know our needs before we ask. You know our ignorance in asking. Have compassion on our weakness. Give us those things which for our unworthiness we dare not, and for our blindness we cannot ask. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who taught us when we pray to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us present our gifts and offerings to the Lord. Please be seated. And we now pray for uh, the illumination of the Spirit on our reading this morning. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who hears us and also that you are a God who speaks to us. And amidst the cares of this world, the things on our mind, our worries, our concerns, our joys, We pray now that you would quiet our minds and our hearts, and that by your Spirit we would have ears to hear, 
um, and understand and believe the readings that we enter into this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Our Old Testament reading comes from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exults in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to shale and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy ministered to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Our Psalter response is from Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore. The name of the Lord is to be praised. And his glory above the heavens. Who is seated on high. On the heavens and on the earth. And lifts the needy from the ash heap with the princes of his people, making her the joyous mother of children. Our epistle reading comes from Revelation chapter 7, verses 13 through 17. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. 
For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Our gospel reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. The word of the Lord. The church must sing some ancient songs. It's not that all the ancient Christian hymns and songs are great. Some of of them will not carry over to our time very well. And with some of them, the lyrics were not well crafted to, to begin with. So it's not really much of a reason to continue singing them. Many, however, were excellent and are excellent. Some of them are in our hymn book. We have hymns by Ambrose of Milan and um, uh, others who were back in the third, fourth century. But there's another reason the church must sing ancient songs. And it's because we Christians must sing of God's transforming power and keep singing it through the years. In our Old Testament lesson this morning, Hannah sings one of those songs. Now let's go back for a moment and remember why she's singing the song. Hannah was one of Elkanah's wives, but she was barren. Her barrenness was about so much more than just a medical condition or a personally painful experience. It was the reality of not having a future. It was hopelessness. Hannah's womb was closed, and Elkanah's other wife, Peninnah, afflicted her mercilessly, reminding Hannah that she was worthless. The story of Hannah is not just about herself, it's about Israel. The last line in the book of Judges that precedes 1 Samuel, it's, Ruth is in there in between, but 
the last of line of judges, and then it moves into Ruth and then Samuel, says this, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Israel was in moral, political, social, idolatrous chaos. It had turned away from God, and consequently it was beaten down and exploited by the Philistines, and Israel had no judges or leaders at that time. Israel was unable to make its own future, just like Hannah was barren, and she had no future. Hannah, however, was faithful to God even in her barrenness, and she went to the tabernacle, and with bitter tears she prayed to God for a son. She believed God could open her womb. God is faithful to his promise, and Hannah became pregnant. The scripture says the Lord remembered her. This is about God's fidelity. God had made a promise to Abraham that through his descendants all the nations of the earth would be blessed. God's remembering was a way of saying he was faithful to his promise. I like how one commentator puts it. God is a powerful rememberer. I like that. But it was not just Hannah whom God remembered. God was remembering Israel. It was a transformative moment for Israel. God was at work to make Israel great and fruitful, even when it looked hopeless and barren. In fact, in the story of Hannah, God is at work all along. And if you remember, we looked at the different scenes of that story at the beginning of chapter 1. And we saw that in every scene, God is doing something. God is at work, even when it's inexplicable. Hannah's son was named Samuel, which indicates or means God has heard her prayer. And as God had given her Samuel, so she gave Samuel to God. Samuel was God's gift, and Hannah honored that. Hannah's story is a story from barrenness to birth, from hopelessness to being given a future, and it's all because of the relentless, transforming power of God. Hannah's story goes from deep lament to exuberant praise, and today we hear the other side of that. We hear Hannah's song in our Old Testament reading. Songs in the Bible are poetic. I guess that's true probably for all songs, but they're poetic in their own way. They have their metaphors, their figures, they have parallelism. Hebrew poems and songs are famous for their parallelism. Sometimes the images used in these songs are strange to us. Like the praise at the end of Psalm 69, that's another praise psalm. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. The sea and the fish are praising God. It's very provocative imagery. Or the image used in Psalm 113, which is our Psalter response this morning. Who is like the Lord our God? Who is seated on high? Who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? Hannah's song, in Hannah's song, she sings of two horns. Her song begins and ends with a horn exalted. Now, the ESV, your translation that we heard this morning, translates it strength and power in verse 1 and verse 10. But it's the same basic word, and the word is literally horn. So you lose the connection between the two with that kind of translation. Mary's song, our gospel reading, sings of much the same thing as Hannah's song. I don't know if you notice some of the echoes in it. These two songs are the kind of song the church has sung through the ages. The context does vary with the singing of the church and these songs that are sung, but it sings of the same thing. So, for example, Israel sang a song after they crossed the Red Sea when God freed them from slavery in Egypt. 
And in Exodus 15, there's a, long, there's a big song there that they sang. They sang, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. He's thrown them down, the army of the Egyptians. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he's become my salvation. The Lord is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord had thrown down the Egyptians and raised up the, the Israelites and brought them through the sea. Israel sang praise to God because he had cast down that Egyptian army and brought them through the sea and up to the mountain of his abode. Psalm 107 is another such song. The Psalms are Israel's songs. You should always think of it that way. The Psalter, the collection of Psalms we have in the Bible, they're Israel's songs and they've become the church's songs. The song of Psalm 107 sings of what God did in the history of Israel. When the people are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless places. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. Did you hear it? He brings down and he raises up. Our Psalter response, Psalm 113, is a song like Hannah's song. And it sings this about God. He makes the poor from the dust He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. And Mary, the song we heard in Luke, the Gospel of Luke, Mary sings of the great things God had done for her and for the lowly. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of his heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Do you hear the lifting up and the bringing down? And that's what, God, that's what Mary is singing about what God does. What these songs are singing continues on. So we heard Hannah's song. We heard Psalm 113. We've heard Uh, Mary's song, and it continues on to the end of Scripture. When we get to the end of Scripture, we hear, as in our epistle lesson from Revelation, that the multitude of the faithful from every nation are gathered before the throne of God with the Lamb, who is Jesus Christ. And they're exclaiming praise to God, and there's a hymn in it. The words are not the same as what Hannah sings or what Psalm 113 sings or what Mary sings. In other words, it's not just a repeated replica or a Xerox copy of the same song, but it has the same theme as the other songs. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Those who are hungry, those who are thirsty, those who are weeping are raised up. This continuous song is about God's transforming power, raising up the powerless and the despised. Now, when we sing a song, we ought to listen to the words. I've kind of learned that in my own life the hard way because I've always been in tune. I played clarinet and band, and my dad always had classical music going. Usually it was just the music. It wasn't like operas and things with words. So I am still I'm very much in tune with the tune. Um, that's what I hear, and I don't pay any attention to the words of many songs. Well, that can be dangerous when you're picking up a pop song. Um, I'd find myself, when I was younger, going around whistling some song, and then later on I'd look at the words and go, oh, probably shouldn't be whistling that. <laughs> so when we sing a song, we ought to listen to the words. Listen to Hannah's song. 
with me. In fact, you might want to look at your scripture because I'm going to walk through it tightly. It begins with Hannah, but it quickly shifts to the Lord. In verse 1, Hannah says, she sings, My heart exalts in the Lord. My heart, my strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies. That's verse 1. But then it moves from my, or I, to your, addressed to God. The last line of verse 1 says, Because I rejoice in your salvation. And there's a shift. And after that, it's about God. The church's songs rightly focus on God and what he's done for us rather than centered on ourselves. The rest of Hannah's song is about the Lord and what he does. Verses 2 through 3 declare who God is. God is holy. He is set apart in majesty and glory. He's unlike the world and all its inhabitants. There is no one like God. He has the strength and power to deliver Hannah from her barrenness and her enemies. Hannah could not deliver herself. She could not make herself pregnant and give herself a future. The Lord is a rock like no other, says Hannah in her song. There is no strength like God's strength. God is transcendent over the world. He is a God of knowledge and knows everything in the world and he knows what everyone is doing. And not only does he know, he weighs the actions of all people. The Lord knows and he judges. But Hannah sings that not only does God have transcendent power and strength, he wills to exercise his power to deliver. One commentator I read says, Power to transform without willingness to intervene ends in a haughty transcendence. Willingness to intervene without power to transform ends in a pitiful sentimentality. Verses 4 through 8 sing of God bringing down the mighty and raising up the weak in those verses there. This section is the center of the song. Verse 4 says, The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. And on it goes with images of transformation. The song uses the images of war and food and children and wealth and life and death. Thus, verse 4 says, The mighty armies are broken and the feeble are made strong. Verse 5 sings that he makes the full hungry and the hungry satisfied. Verse 5 also says the barren will have many children and those with many children will be forlorn. And even in the extreme case, God's strength and power preside preside over life and death. (coughs) Excuse me. He bestows them with full knowledge without offering a rationale or justification. God doesn't just always give a rationale for what he gives, to whom he gives life and to whom he gives death. The Lord says as much in Deuteronomy 32. He says, see now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive, I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. These are reversals. It's like what Jesus teaches in the Gospel of Luke chapter 6 about the great reversal of God's kingdom that comes into this world. Jesus says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And then Jesus shifts in contrast, and he says, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. You see, there's a reversal going on. God's transformation is right there. It's embedded in the gospel that God transforms and brings about this reversal. God intervenes in this world to transform it, 
and his transformation brings down and raises up. That's the kind of transformation it is. He brings down those who are proud, who exalt themselves, who think that they can, they can handle their life and, and take care of themselves and maybe even save themselves um, by themselves. He brings them down and then he lifts up those who are despised and the lowly. He raises up the lowly, the despised, and the poor. It's not just a personal transformation. It's a social, political, and eternal transformation. Yes, God transforms Hannah's own barrenness by giving her a son, as she says in chapter 1, verse 27. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Her personal situation was transformed from barrenness to bearing a son, from having no future to having a future with God's people. But there's also the social transformation that she sings about in her song. In verse 5, Verse 5 is a standard reference to social unfairness. It was sort of the the kind of thing you would say when you're just trying to um, bring up the the subject of social unfairness in verse 5. It refers to a society where there are those who enjoy plenty and others who have nothing. It's the kind of society in Jesus' parable of Lazarus and the rich man in Luke 16. The rich man was clothed in expensive and fine linen and he feasted sumptuously every day. While at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, full of sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Those who were hungry and those who were satisfied or full is a way of referring to the inequity in in society. Hannah's song says that God will transform this social distortion so that those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. This song also sings of a transformation of political power in this world. This is expressed in military language in verse 4. Who, who runs the militaries? Well, I mean, unless you've got some, some uh, warlord who's able to kind of run the country um, over on his own, um, even though there's a government in place, most of the time the military is run by a government. So in verse 4, this is expressed in military language, the political power. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. The power in this world marginalizes people. The opponents of the powerful are made weak and lowly. That's what happens in this world. Don't we see that going on in this country today? Those who don't want to play along with the dominant ideologies like transgenderism or environmentalism and and other isms are silenced. They're cut out. They're pushed out of sight. Conservatives get in power and they do that, they do the same thing to liberals, and liberals get in power and do the same thing to conservatives. It goes back and forth. And dare I say, one ethnic group gets in power and does this to other ethnic groups, and then the marginalized ethnic groups, ethnic groups get in power and they turn around and do the same to the ethnic groups that once pushed them down. So the power in this world is always about marginalizing those who you have power over. Well, God's transforming power is not like that. Throughout Scripture, we are told that God's power raises up the weak and feeble in society. He makes strong the people who are least and last in this world, like the Hebrew slaves in Egypt. His power gives dignity to the fatherless and the widow. His power raises up the lowly and the helpless. And he takes down the political power of the mighty. He doesn't just raise up the lowly and the least. He takes down the power of the mighty. Hannah sings that God transforms the political power in this world. Verse 8, the Lord raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap 
to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. Finally, God transforms the moral chaos. Hannah's song sings in verse 9, He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. When we start talking about wicked, you're talking about morality. You're talking about a moral understanding. In this world, it's commonplace for those who do wrong to end up in power. Drug lords, tyrants, racists, cheats and liars, abusers of women and children, swindlers, even murderers become powerful in this world. And I don't need to give you examples of that. It's not saying that everyone who's in power is like that, but there are a lot of them out there. And it seems like you have to do some of that if you're going to get into power. There are plenty of examples of this in the Middle East, in Asia, in many African countries, in Central America, and in our own nation. God's transforming power brings down the immoral power of this world. Hannah's song says the immoral are adversaries of God. The immoral power is not just against people in this world, it's against God. They're enemies of God. They're adversaries of God. With vivid imagery, Hannah's song says God's transformation breaks the immoral into pieces. According to his transforming power, God judges the immoral. God's transformation casts the immoral power out of this world into darkness. Hannah sings that God transforms this morally upside-down world. God's transformation of all of life is the theme of the song that is sung through Scripture. It's the theme that's running through. It's the song that's running through Scripture. We're hearing it with Hannah. We hear it with Psalm 113. We hear it with Mary. We hear it with the multitude in Revelation. The transformation of all of life, not just your personal life, but social, political, moral. And that's the song that's being sung in the church. Hannah's song of God's power of transformation is resounding, but what makes it stand out is as is wonderful as it is to hear of God's power of transformation the way that's expressed with these reversals. What makes it stand out the most from other songs of transformation, and there are lots of others that, that sing about transformation in this world, but what makes it stand out is that last line. Verse 10 concludes, He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. That's the way the ESV says it. Now, two things need to be clarified in this line. One is that the word power in verse 10, exalt the power of his anointed, is the same basic word at the beginning of Hannah's song where she sings, my strength is exalted in the Lord. I have already mentioned that. It's the word for horn. Both of them are basically the same word, horn. As I said earlier, there are two horns in this song, and we don't want to miss that. Hannah's horn in verse 1 and the king's horn in verse 10. Both of these horns are raised, which depicts, the raising of the horn depicts the visible elevation to worth and dignity and power and prestige and well-being. And we're helped to see that with Hannah. She was barren, powerless, could not contribute to the future of God's people. She was tormented by her rival and was deeply distressed and grieved bitterly. But the Lord gave her a son, and in doing so, he raised her up, and he gave her meaningfulness, a place of importance, prominence, and esteem. Here we are, 3,000, more than 3,000 years later, and we're still honoring Hannah. And the Lord gave her life with a future. The Lord lifted up her horn. The king's worth 
dignity, power, prestige, and well-being is also visibly raised up by the Lord in verse 10. So that's one thing we need to understand. You've got the same word there in verse 1 and verse 10. Uh, two horns. The other thing that needs to be clarified in verse 10 is that the word anointed, the power, exalt the power of his anointed, that word is the word Messiah. The Lord's anointed is his Messiah. The king whose horn is raised up is the Lord's Messiah. The power of God's transformation in this world comes by way of the horn of his Messiah. And that horn in, the, in 1 Samuel anticipates King David, who was, you remember King David, who was lowly? He was a shepherd boy. God raised him up, and he defeated the Philistines who dominated Israel. David was a type of God's exalted horn, but Jesus is the Lord's true anointed horn. Mary sings songs of a, Mary's song sings of a greater king, Jesus Christ, who will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and his king, of his kingdom there will be no end. And that's what the angel said to Mary before we get to the Magnificat that we heard this morning. Jesus Christ is the power of God's transformation for us and for all of life. Jesus Christ is that horn, fully exalted, the, the true Messiah of God. Hannah's exalted horn depends on the Lord's anointed Messiah, whose horn is raised up to transform all of life. You see, there's a relationship between these two horns, and Hannah's horn depends on that horn of the Messiah being raised up. And we can take this a little bit further. Hannah's horn is exalted in the Lord's anointed one, Jesus Christ. This is the church's ancient song that we must keep singing. You and I have been added to the choir here on earth that must sing this song. This is what the church is to be saying and singing. When I say singing, I think you understand what I'm saying. This common theme that we we continue to express through the church, through the ages. We join with Hannah and Mary in that multitude that stands before the throne of God and the Lamb. And we sing the song of God's transforming power with his anointed King, Jesus Christ. It's important to get that right. We sing the song of God's transforming power with his anointed king, Jesus Christ. Now, yesterday I drove by a church with a sign in front of it that said, All are welcome, no exceptions, with an exclamation mark. Now, I don't quite know what that means. I'm always suspicious, like, really? I kind of think there might be some people you might not want there. But we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. I don't know what that meant. I hope that they're singing the song of God's transforming power in Jesus Christ. I hope that that's a church singing that song. So while everyone is welcome, and I think we would agree with that, there are no exceptions of transformation for those who come to Christ with faith in the church. No one who comes to Christ with faith is not going to be transformed. That's where there are no exceptions. And that's what I sometimes wonder about saying all are welcome Do they just get to stay the way they are? Because that's what a lot of people want. Well, he transforms our sinful lives. Christ brings all of us down and raises all of us up who come to him in faith. There there are those who have doubts about the church's song. They've been hearing this song, this, this great praise through the ages. And there are others who outright reject it. If God really does transform this world, why is the world still full of Moral, social, and political chaos. Have you ever heard something like that before? So much still needs to be transformed. 
Why are there still those who are hungry? Why are there still wicked rulers like Putin and Kim Jong-un? Why do the morally perverse still have power in this world? Friedrich Nietzsche, who was a philosopher in the 19th century, was one of these critics, and he's famous for, for what he said. He, he strenuously argued against trying to overcome ourselves or trying to discipline ourselves and trying to moderate the sexual and violent impulses in this world. Rather, we're to be inspired by that raw power. That's what is, is in the, the world and the universe is raw power, and we should be inspired by that. In other words, we need to quit trying to transform our base sexual and violent impulses and instead embrace them and go with them, even celebrate them. Christians also wonder about the same thing. Is God's transforming power really at work in this world? Now, we don't go as far as Nietzsche, I hope, and say, well, let's just embrace it. Let's go with that. We must come back to Hannah's song and Mary's song and the faithful multitude song in Scripture. God's transformation power, transforming power for all of life comes through God's anointed Jesus Christ, who was born, put to death, and raised for our salvation. God's transformation of this world is tied to his son Jesus Christ, and there are two advents to it, two comings of it in this world. Jesus Christ came the first time to break the power of sin and, and the inverted chaos of this world. He came to break that power. And Jesus, God's anointed one, will come again to judge the heavens and the earth and bring down those who have exalted themselves, the proud, and those who dominate and crush others. Then the transformation of all of life will be complete. And the barren will be made fruitful, the hungry will be full, the poor will be rich, the lowly will sit with princes. The adversaries of the Lord will be broken to pieces. He will put down the mighty from their thrones and exalt those of low degree, and every tear will be wiped away from the eyes of those who trust in him. If we detach God's transforming power and just make that a concept or or some important idea, if we detach it from Jesus Christ, then all of this does indeed look impossible. The church, however, sings the song in this world of God's transforming power in Jesus Christ for all of life. And we keep singing it because there are so many who need to hear it. Let us pray. Grant us, O Lord, to trust in you with all our hearts. For as you always resist the proud who confide in their own strength, so you never forsake those who make their boast of your mercy. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please stand. Let us confess our faith with the creed and the bulletin. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and one Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead. 
whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our hymn as we come to the Lord's table is number 311, Hail to the Lord's Anointed. Sunday of the month, we collect our diaconal offering. If the ushers could please come forward and collect that offering.
you would please join me in the prayer for this offering printed in gold. Our Father in heaven, multiply your gifts and increase their usefulness, magnify your purposes in their distribution, to the end your kingdom will be established, and your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Listen to this promise from Scripture. You were ransomed, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish and spot. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was arrested, took bread, and when he gave him thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is a covenant meal with God. The Lord Jesus Christ has established this meal. He has set it up. He has uh, defined what it is. And it is definitely tied to him and to his uh, death for us on the cross. And so we are to celebrate this according to our Lord's instruction, according to our Lord's, um, the way he set it out. But we need to remember that our Lord comes and is present with us. And so it becomes this covenant meal where the Lord is with his people. We come surrendering our wills and being responsible to God alone. In other words, we are responsible. We want to obey God above every other. No longer is our task to adjust to our world or to our society we're to be obedient to God's will, which transcends every other will. Our pledge as we come to this table is to live as faithful members of God's community of grace and peace, which is the church. And we join hands with our fellow Christians in a common loyalty to God. And all of this is laid upon us as we come to the Lord's Supper. Here in this covenant meal, we belong to Christ. We need to remember that we've already confessed our sin and heard the assurance of pardon been called to obedience, but all of that has been done. So it's not that we have, our lives are perfect and we've made everything right about our lives. Of course, we can't do that. But it does mean that we are wanting to obey Christ above all else, that we are wanting to follow him. And when we do sin, we know it is wrong and we want to repent of it and we ask the Lord to help us. So we are to engage with each other and live our lives in a way that shows that gospel in them that uh, we belong to Christ. All who have been baptized, who have professed faith in Jesus Christ, and are communicant members of a Christian church, that means you belong to a Christian church, you're identified in a Christian church, you're welcome to come and share in this joyful feast of our Lord. If that's not the case for you, you should stay back until such time you're visibly joined with Christ's people through baptism, profession of faith, and belonging to a Christian church. Join with me now in giving thanks to God for our new life and salvation in Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and grace. It is right, it's our great duty that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, O Lord, Holy Lord, Almighty Father, everlasting God. You did create the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. You did make man and woman in your own image. And your tender mercies are 
all over your works. We praise you, most of all, for Jesus Christ our Lord, who was in all points tempted like we are and yet without sin. By his grace, we are enabled to subdue the sinful desires of the flesh and live no longer to ourselves, but to him who died for us and rose again. And so with all the host of heaven, we worship and adore your glorious name and we sing, we join that song they sing, saying, holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Glory be to you, O Lord most high. All glory and thanksgiving be to you, Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, because you, of your great mercy, did give your only Son, Jesus Christ, to take our nature upon him and to suffer death upon the cross for our redemption, who made there a full and perfect and sufficient sacrifice for our sins and did institute in his holy gospel, command us to continue a perpetual memorial of his death and sacrifice until he comes again. So now, having in remembrance his incarnation and holy life, his passion and precious death, his resurrection and glorious ascension, and his continual intercession for us, we, your humble servants, pleading his eternal sacrifice, do set forth that we ourselves would be a memorial and an offering to you, joined with Jesus Christ our Savior. We most humbly ask you, O merciful Father, to bless and sanctify with your Holy Spirit both us and these your gifts of bread and cup, that the bread which we break may be the communion of the body of Christ, and the cup of blessing which we bless may be the communion of the, body, of the blood of Christ. And here we offer and present to you ourselves, our souls and bodies, to be a reasonable, holy, and living sacrifice, and we ask you mercifully to accept this, our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, as in the communion of all the faithful in heaven and on earth. We pray that you would fill in us the purpose of your redeeming love, through Jesus Christ our Lord, by whom and with whom and in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory be to you, O Father Almighty, world without end. And we offer our thanksgiving with one voice, saying together, Amen. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he also took the cup, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Thank you. 
Jesus said, Truly I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Take and eat this bread and drink this cup and remember Christ's body and blood given for you. Receive it with faith and thanksgiving. Take and eat and drink. Let us pray. Lord God, you have renewed us with the living bread from heaven. By it, you nourish our faith, increase our hope, you strengthen our love. Teach us always to hunger for him who is the true and living bread, Jesus Christ. And enable us to live by every word that proceeds from out of your mouth. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Final hymn is number 54, Alleluia, Raise, O Raise.
Please be seated. I will bring your attention to the uh, calendar of events in the bulletin, beginning with uh, Christian education to be held this morning after a brief time of fellowship. Um, We continue the discussion of narrative apologetics. A reminder again that there have been some books long outstanding from the library, so please uh, try to remember if you're one such as I who wandered off with books and forgot about it. Thursday night Bible study resumes this week here at the church at 7 p.m. And finally, we need to make a correction in the calendar. We had indicated that due to a visit from a missionary One of our OPC missionaries, Mike McCabe, we would have fellowship dinner two weeks from today rather than next week. That is reversed. So we will have fellowship meal next week, and then our visit from Mr. McCabe will come on March 10th. He also, as far as I know, is still looking for a place to spend the night on March 12th. Saturday night, March 9th. So please consider whether you can help with that. You know, on that note, I, I need to know that pretty soon. You can email me or call me if you can do it. Um, he doesn't need a meal. He has his own car. Uh, he just needs a place to crash. So, well, not crash, but <laughs> place to be. Um, yes. Place <laughs> to hang out. That's how we treat our missionaries. <laughs> Come crash over here. Um, so if you could do that, please let me know. Mrs. Collins. You know, it occurs to me that if anyone else is like me, I could have good and well forgotten what book I may have borrowed from our library 12 years ago. Is, is it a lengthy list? Um, is it a short list? Could somebody text that? I, 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 we haven't done that. We haven't parsed the sign-out sheet, but I think a lot of books, people forget to sign the sheet. And so I think it's... Yeah, so just go through and all your good books, bring them back to the library. Yeah. Yeah. I think most of them are. Yeah, they're right. stamped. Right. I don't think we know exactly what's missing. And join us next week for our mystery series, What's in the Library? Be off with you. <laughs>